We're going through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we've broken it up in three different series. The believer's blessing, the believer's behavior, the believer's family, and the believer's battle. Last week, we completed our first series and, uh, of the believer, believer's blessing, and now we're going to do uh, the believer's behavior, and uh, we're going to do that um, until the end of June. So we have eight weeks to walk through um, this uh, topic of what um, Paul wants to communicate in the book uh, of Ephesians. If you break the book up, we're on chapter 3, and how many chapters are in the book of Ephesians? Six. So we're halfway through. And uh, so since we're halfway through, we're halfway done. Well, originally I said it's going to be a year that we're going to walk through it, and we've been on it for four months, and we have a year left. (laughs) Don't do the math, but yeah, just just accept it, that we're still going to go on the book of Ephesians because there's so much to do. But for these next three chapters, uh, we're slowing down, and we're slowing down again. Um, but that just means it's just rich. It just means it's good. Uh, not better than the front, but just as good as the front. So as we're walking into this new series, uh, we just get excited about what uh, Paul wants to communicate to us and what God wants to communicate to us. And the first three chapters, there's one word that drives the communication. And the word that drives the communication is, is wealth. It talks about wealth consistently. And uh, the word that drives the second half is walk. And so if you look at the first half, what do we talk about? We went into the salvation message. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we have been chosen, as wealthy as could be. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed wisdom. We have insight. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're able to know him. We're able to understand him. Uh, We have the church. We have his body. The functioning part of the body is a huge blessing. This is our wealth that we have. And for three chapters, it's just just shoving wealth our way. And then the other half is about walk. If you want to know where we're going, these three chapters talk about walk worthy of your calling that you have received. Walk by using your spiritual gifts. Walk differently from the Gentiles. Walk by putting on the garments of the new person, off with the old. Walk following God. Walk as the children of the light. Walk carefully and walk strictly. So this is where we're going for the next uh, the next eight weeks in regards to where this book is taking us. So let's look at the passage this morning. It's a shorter one, just because there's so much into it as Paul launches us into the church. Let's read it, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and then see what our challenges are from it. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We're going to break this passage up into two different categories. How to walk worthy of our calling, and then the purpose of walking worthy of our calling. So when you get the instructions, therefore, what does therefore mean? Therefore means because of this, you do this. Therefore, that word is put in Scripture quite a bit. The Scripture will say something, and then it says, therefore, as a result of this, you do this. So Paul is starting out this break in the book saying, therefore, now how far does therefore reach? 
therefore reaches all three chapters. Reaches all three chapters. Therefore, since you have received all of this wealth, therefore, since you have been chosen, therefore, since you have been adopted, therefore, since you have been sealed, and on and on and on, what we've been covering for the last four months, therefore, now there's a huge change in the book, therefore, as a result of that, do this. And what is the line? Walk worthy of the calling that you have received, that you have been called to. What is walk? Walk is the word live. What is worthy? Worthy is the word weight, beauty, glory. Huge word that we carry. Worthy, something that has been granted to us. So walk with this beautiful weight that you have been given. Walk worthy of what you have been given. How do you walk? It gives us three things of how we are supposed to walk. Three things. And you even see him in verse chapter 2. He says, walk with humility, gentleness, and patience. He could have picked anything, but he picked these three things. Number one, if we're going to walk worthy of our calling, we need to walk with humility. That's the first word that he picked. Why would he pick that word? A humble Savior and a proud sinner, they can't walk together. They don't, they don't get along. <laughs> if you have a humble Savior and a proud sinner, what is a proud sinner going to do? The same thing that Lucifer did. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Your position is what I want, and your position is what I desire, and then our pride is going to do what? It's going to go after the proud or the humble Savior. Moreover, the humble Savior. But when Christ saved the world, he didn't want to go with the concept of proud of arrogance, of somebody that wants to display, of somebody who's haughty. Somebody says, look at me, and as you look at me, you will realize that you are not. That's not the way Christ wanted to come. Christ came, and he came with complete humility. What is humility? Humility is offering yourself lowly and submissive, not high, mighty, proud, and arrogant. God, the king of the earth, came to offer himself with submissiveness, not high, proud, haughty, and arrogant. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Because his purpose, I love charismatic churches. Good. (laughs) Because of his purpose is what? To reach the world. His purpose is not for the world to be recognized, but his purpose is for him to be recognized and to reach the world. That's why he came with humility. See, humility comes with power. How does humility come with power? People come to you and show up if you have humility. People do not come to you and show up if you have pride. In fact, the haughty is like, oh, I don't want to hang around that person. That person's so arrogant. That person never stops talking about himself. If that person is haughty and arrogant, you choose not to be their friend. But when somebody is humble, do you know what you do? You walk into them and you say, what's going on? You speak at that person's level. That person has got your attention. That person has your mind. Because when you stand in front of that person, you're, you're talking on the, the same plane. That person is inviting. That person is somebody that you want to be their friend. That is someone that you can share their feelings with because they're humble. They move themselves down at this level, and that moving themselves down to this level 
carries so much power. It also carries power because a humble person is somebody who will listen to you. A humble person is somebody who will relate to you. A humble person is somebody that you want to be under his rule and under his lead. Why? Because you're not just following this power that literally condemns you because of its complete, absolute majesty, glory, and blowing you away. No, humility comes right down to your level, and when he comes down to your level, what's taking place is that you want to go to it. You want to grab it. You're not intimidated by it. You're not even overwhelmed by it. You move into it. So when Jesus came to earth, he came, humbled himself as a man. Remember on Mount Sinai? What was the rules on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament? Do not touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain of where God is at, what's going to happen? You're going to die. And if there's an animal that touches the mountain, what's going to happen? You're going to die. This is a king of kings and lord of lords who's known as holy, and you are sinful, and if you even get close to it, death is yours. What did the disciples consistently do when Jesus was walking? Children, don't, don't mess with Jesus. You know? don't, don't touch him. And then all of a sudden, the lady that was bleeding touched Jesus and as she touched Jesus, Jesus like, who, who touched me? People, low life, people were just gravitating towards him. Just gravitating towards him. Remember his purpose? I come to save the world. And the world showed up at his feet. Why? Because he was humble. Humility carries power. Humility results in people coming to Christ. And when I portray humility as well, it's going to result in people coming to me, and I have Christ to share Christ. See the power in humility? Where is there room for pride? There is no room for pride. Humility results in people's assurance of salvation. Yes, God is huge. God is majestic. God is completely and entirely glorified. And when you look at him, and look up in the Old Testament, you start to ask, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? How can I be loved? How can I be cared for? Our eyes were open when Jesus emptied himself, although he was, was as God, and came to this earth with humility. Ephesians 4 says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility. When we think of humility, we think of weakness, but humility is not weakness. Letter A, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less and people and Christ more. When we think of ourself less, what do people see in us? What Christ wants him to see in us is a humble Savior. That's what people see in us. When we think of ourselves as less, people show up at our feet. People are, gravitate to you. People move to you. People want to know what you have to say. And then as soon as you start speaking and as soon as you start saying, because they feel at the same plane, you can speak on the same plane that the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lord came down to earth with humble mind, with a humble heart to seek and save the person that literally comes to his feet. This is what I have. But of course, if we're arrogant, of course, if we're haughty, of course, if we're proud, number one, nobody's going to come to us. And number two, nobody believes they can be saved. 
The reason why nobody believes it can be saved is because why would a God save something like me? But when Christ humbled himself, we can then see it. Charles Spurgeon says this, Your Christ, uh, young Christians think themselves little. Growing Christians think themselves as nothing. Full-grown Christians think themselves as less than nothing. So as we grow up, we grow down. As Christ increases, we must decrease. As he is glorified, the flesh gets dishonored in our esteem. The world around us is going to see us or going to see God. And if we are proud, they will not see God because it's not about us, it's about him. That's the first one he's given us. If you want to walk worthy of the calling, one, be humble. Gives you the next one. Be gentle, slash meekness, which is in our notes. Just gives us instructions. Here's how to walk worthy. Be humble. And then Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, be gentle. When we think of the word gentle, we think of someone who is uh, weak. But the Greek word in, um, that is used here is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter, f- um, chapter 5 at the Sermon on the Mount. And the word, is, the word is meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So I put down meek because gentle in our vocabulary kind of says, okay, what I need to do is I just need to be a soft, you know, soft person, uh, um, uh, a fragile person. Meekness does not mean soft and fragile. What does meekness mean? Letter A, meekness is not weakness. It is power that is under control. A lion carries extreme amount of power, carries an extreme amount of authority. It carries an extreme um, amount of presence as it walks in the door. And uh, the reason why is because it can take you out. And it can take you out really, really fast. So we honor it. We respect it. We stay away from it. But what happens to a tame lion? You go to the zoo and you see a tame lion. If a lion is tamed by a master, by a chief, does the lion lose its power? No, the lion does not lose its power. In fact, the lion has all of its power, but all of its power is then what? Put under the master. Put under the master's control. And therefore, if the master moves, the lion moves. The master says this, the lion says this. He has not lost his power. And that's why we go to the zoo to watch him. We see a powerful, powerful animal who is meek. Power under control. When it comes to us as people, the best example in Scripture is Jesus when he went to the cross. Jesus and Moses were both uh, classified as meek people. Those were the words that Scripture has given us. When Jesus went to the cross, what took place when he was arrested? You know, Peter says, well, if he's going to be arrested, I'm going to take out anybody who wants to arrest him, pulls out a knife, cuts off somebody's ear, and uh, what takes place? Jesus says, oh, let me clean all this up. Peter, knock it off. I don't need you. I got 12 legions of angels if I wanted to call them. That would wipe out this entire army, and they would never, ever, ever come back again. In other words, I have all this power. Peter, you have none. I have it all. And all of a sudden, he was kissed, and then he was arrested. Kissed by Judas, and then arrested. Power under control. And then he goes over to Pilate, and when he goes in front of Pilate, what does Pilate's word say? He says, do you understand who I am? And uh, Pilate says, I have the power to kill you. Or I have the power to do what? To save you. You live or you die by my decision is what Pilate was saying to him. And what was Jesus' comment? (laughs) 
you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no power. No power whatsoever. What God's going to do, he's going to do. All power is there. But Jesus, just what? He just took it. And then even when he went to the cross and he was being, come on, Jesus. If you're the son of God, why don't you prove yourself and why don't you come off the cross? I feel it a little bit if I was being hung on the cross and being mocked like that. And as, as I feel it a little bit, I will tell you my, my sinful nature would say, oh my goodness, I'm going to lash out and you are going to see the power at that moment of who I am. I mean, that's where I would be. Take them all out. Send heaven down and kill them all. Wipe them all out. But yet, if he did, none of us would be saved. Jesus is the perfect example of meekness, complete, entire power under control. God under control as he's being killed, spit upon, beaten, and mocked. That's what meekness is. Walk worthy of the calling which you have received. Take all your power because look at all the blessings you have. You've got it all. Haven't you read chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians? You have it all. Take all that power and carry it under control with humility and also with meekness, gentleness. The third one that he gives us is walk with patience, long-suffering. When you look through the Scripture, you hear the words in 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is, and the word is love is what? Patient. Love is kind. Love does not seek its own. Love is not proud. It's interesting that we're given an example of love, and then all of a sudden we've hit all three of ours that come in the book of Ephesians. All three of those are coming up. And then if you go through Galatians chapter 5, you get the fruits of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. This is the same thing that comes in Ephesians for here. So we see a consistent pattern that has taken place. Remember where we're at in the book. We're in the, back, we're in the book where everything is going to shift to how we should walk. And these are the three that he puts out. Humility, meekness, gentleness, and then patience. What is patience? The King James translates it the best. The way the King James translates the word is long-suffering. Long-suffering. What is long-suffering? Well, about seven years ago, I hiked the South Sisters, and I did it with my brother, the person who led worship, and, and we were just going to do it in one day. So we left um, at 3 o'clock in the morning. We're going to climb to the top, then we'll come back home, and then we're going to drive, come back down and, and then drive home. So it was going to be a full day, a packed day, and we you know, had to be on time. You know, we, had to, we had to push pretty hard to do it. So we headed out to go to the South Sisters. Sure enough, we got to the bottom of the mountain, and we started climbing, and, and it's steep, it's exhausting, and we were going at a pretty good pace to get to the top. And uh, when we were getting close to the top, almost to the top, um, there's a lot of shell that's on the ground, and it's really, really steep. So when you step on the shell, your feet go into the shell and kind of pull back. And uh, it's really even dangerous because there's a lot of rock, solid rock that's around, but that shell is, is also really slippery. And as we're walking, there's, on the middle of the trail, there was a dog that was sitting there just shaking. And, um, and what, what happened is that when he walks up the shell, it's splitting open his paws, and his paws were just, were just bleeding, were just bleeding. And so we look at the dog, and, and we're like, well, where is its owner? 
somebody wanted to climb to the mountain, they brought their dog. Well, their dog is not doing very well right here. Where is its owner? And I had somebody come up behind me, and, uh, and that person asked the same question, where, it's, where is its owner? But he did it in a different language, because I think every other word was a swear word. Where in the blankety blank is that? And he was getting absolutely angry, mad, and livid of this dog that was completely left on the trail as the owners went and summited the mountain. And so the individual says, well, I'm going to find that owner. We need to find that owner. We can't just leave the dog here. So he tried to pick the dog up. And I said, just let me pick the dog up, and we'll carry it to go find the owner. So I, I picked the dog up, and I put the dog over my shoulders, and I started hiking up to the top of the mountain. And as I was walking up there, every step I took, <laughs> the guy behind me, I can't wait to find that whoever that owner is, and I'm going to tell that person what for. And I'm thinking, what am I walking into? I'm carrying this dog, and this person behind me is going to just, just completely come unloaded. Um, on this person that, that left the dog up there. So I heard that all the way up to the top of the mountain. And luckily, when I got to the top of the mountain, the guy says, give me the dog. I want the dog because I'm going to tell him they did it. So he took the dog, put it on his shoulder, and said, you take the dog. I don't want anything to do with this. So my brother and I, we went across to the other side of the summit. We had lunch. We enjoyed the view. We had lunch, or we had lunch, enjoyed the view, and then, you know, about 45 minutes or so. And then we started walking back. And and when we were starting to walk back and getting ready to walk down, we saw the guy who was angry, and he didn't have the dog. I said, well, did you find the owners? He said, oh, yes, I found the owners, and I told them what for, and he just gave me the whole list of everything he said to them. I said, that's great. I said, well, you know, who was the owner? He says, three college girls. And I'm like, three college girls? He just screamed at three college girls, and I said, where is the dog? He said, well, I gave the dog back to him. I said, well, we're on a summit, <laughs> And you couldn't even carry the dog at the top. And I'm like, what am I going to find when we walk down there with three college girls trying to carry the dog down? So I said, oh, whatever. So we just started walking down. And, and my brother and I caught up to the, the three college girls. And they were um, bleeding and crying. Because <laughs> if you hang on to the dog, you can't catch yourself when you fall. And uh, consistently, they were falling. And they couldn't, they couldn't move with the dog. So I went up there and I said to them, I said, you know, I carried your dog up. You don't know me, but I carried your dog up, and I'll carry your dog down if you'd like me to do that. So I took the dog, and we started carrying the dog down. And I carried it all the way down. But in the process of carrying it down, just to, to paint you the picture, is it took about two hours, two and a half hours, and the dog was in the back of my neck. And I sweat when I exercise. And when I sweat, I drip hard. Well, when the warm dog's belly is on the back of your neck, he sweats too. And he sweats dirt, and I sweat dirt, and it starts to run even like a river that comes down your stomach. And we were going really fast because we didn't want this guy to catch up with us because we didn't get chewed out again. And so all this sweat was moving down me, and I don't know if you've ever seen a male dog's belly, but there's not a belly button on the belly. There's something else that's on the belly, and we carried it all the way down the mountain. That's long-suffering. <laughs> long-suffering every step of the way. Sure enough, we did get to the bottom. Just to finish the story, we got to the bottom. We gave the dog back. I tried to put the dog in the ground a couple times. He just cried like a baby, so I had to carry him all the way. And when we got to the bottom, we gave the dog to the girls. I said, get to your car because that guy's on his way down. And he's going to catch up. Sure enough, after I got the dog, the girls went. The guy comes down and says, you seen those girls? I said, what girls? And <laughs> got in the car and went home. That was the end of the story. But long-suffering is you take the hit, you bear the pain, and you carry others' load.
patience and long-suffering. We are not a perfect people. None of us are perfect people. But we have to carry each other for the purpose of something. And I'm going to get into the purpose of what we're at. We have to carry each other. And as we're carrying each other, it is going to take patience. It is going to take strength. It is going to take endurance. It is going to take pain. It's going to take all the above if we're going to carry each other. Ephesians 4, 2 says, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. What is long-suffering? Letter A, you suffer long with people. You have discomfort without fighting back. You have discomfort without making the statement that you're being violated and you're being ruined as a result of the discomfort that we're at. Suffer long with people. So what is the purpose? Three words were been given to us. Humility, meekness, and long-suffering. What is the purpose? Because Paul is launching into the second half of this book. And he says these three things, and he says these three things for a specific purpose to get us on track with what he's going to say through the next chapters. I'll just say through the next chapters. And these were the three things that were mentioned. So here you walk worthy of the calling which you received, and you better do it with humility, you better do it with meekness, you better do it with long-suffering, and the purpose is what? Number four, so we will preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why did Christ die? The instant answer can, comes up out of her mouth is because he loved me. Why did Christ die? Said, well, because he saved me. Um, that's not enough. It's not a strong enough statement. Why did Christ die? The reason why Christ died is because he loved us. Why did Christ die is because he saved us. Us is, us is plural. I am not Christ's bride. When I read the book of Revelation and we see Christ that is coming for his bride, I'm not the only one standing there. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm not. His bride, which is known as the church, is standing there. His bride, which is known as the body, his body, is standing there. See, whenever you hear the salvation message, which we have heard the salvation message through chapter 1, chapter 2, what's the other mix inside of the salvation message? What's the other mix in the amazing blessing that we have? The other mix in the amazing blessing in the salvation message is that we are being saved to be a part of something. We're being saved into something, and that into is we're being saved into the bride of Christ, which is the church. We're being saved into a body, which is the church. See what happens when it comes to Christ's teachings is that Christ came to earth and he did his work. He did his work of living a perfect life. And when he lived a perfect life here, he went to the cross and he took every single bit of sin on his, on his shoulders. All of our sin went onto his shoulders and he went to the grave. And when he went to the grave, he rose again three days later and he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is the head of what? His body. And he ascended into heaven and when he ascended into heaven, his body still exists on this earth. And who's the head? He hasn't lost that position but he has this body. And what is this body supposed to do? This body is supposed to proclaim to the world that God is alive. That God is humble. 
that God is patient, that God is gentle. You see, what happens is that when we are saved, we're saved for a purpose, saved for a purpose to be connected and proclaim who Christ is to the world. That's what we're saved for. And what proclaims Christ to the world is our behavior as a functioning unit. And these are the three things that has been given. Walk worthy is a calling which you've received. These are the three things that are given that would allow us to function in such a way to proclaim to the world that God lives. These three things, humility, patience, kindness, together so that the world may know that he lives. No sort of disunity, because a disunity is a statement of the opposite that Christ lives. So whenever we hear the words that we are saved, you're always going to hear the words us, because we're saved into something. In fact, I just want to go back into the book of Ephesians, because we're sitting in this book, and and we just need to know how it's communicated. Ephesians chapter 1, we've already talked about this. I just want to read it. Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, plural, us, not me, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose who? Me? No, us. In him, all of us has been chosen inside of him before the foundation of the world, that we, again plural, would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, every single one is plural, to the adoption, to the praise of the glory, his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses, which he lavished on who? Not me, us, in the wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of the will. And we can go on and on and on through the book of Ephesians. It's consistently talking about us, which is called his bride, his body, to do what? Proclaim Christ to the world. And how do we proclaim Christ to the world? Walk worthy of the calling which you have been called for. And all of a sudden, the world is going to see Jesus. The world is going to approach us like it approached Jesus. Ephesians goes on and on. i just read a couple more. We are fellow members of the body. Ephesians 3, 6, fellow partakers of the promise. Ephesians 2, 1, being fitted together. Ephesians 2, 22 says being built together in the dwelling place of the Spirit. Ephesians 3, 6, fellow heirs. Ephesians 4, 16, we are then held together. It's all a body. It's all a functionality of who Christ is through this unit, not even necessarily through us as individuals. God will not give the honor of saving the world to ministers. He meant it for the church, and until his church is prepared to grasp it, God will withhold the crown which he has prepared for her. We must function together to proclaim Jesus. And the three areas that allow us to function in such a way is humility, gentleness, and patience. And if we take those out, we're not walking worthy of the calling which we received, but if we also take those out, then this body will not be a unit that will proclaim Jesus. The church as a nation will not be a unit that will proclaim Jesus. Ephesians 4 says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is 
over all which is God and through all which is Jesus and in all which is the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity, he just puts it all down in one package of this unit who proclaims Christ to the world. Number five, walking worthy of our calling unites us into the one body that proclaims Christ to the world. The church is an arena in which God has chosen above all to showcase his wisdom and his glory of the gospel. Therefore, we are commanded to do what? Walk worthy of the calling which we have received. Walk humbly, walk meek, and walk patient. And do you know what we do? What will happen to us if we do those three things? We will look exactly like Jesus did to a lost world that he came to save. God, I just pray that we'd be challenged, God, as a body, as a unit, to proclaim to the world who you are. And we know, God, that the most greatest microphone we have is not even necessarily our voice, but it is our life. And God, our life will be proclaimed in a unit that shows you and displays you if we are connected in such a way of being humble, patient, and meek. I just pray, God, that we would be a unit to reach this geographical area, that we would be a unit that people look upon and say, what do those people have? What are those people carrying? seems like there's just so much joy. It seems like there's so much happiness in them. It seems like there's so much unity in them. They've got something. And I just pray, God, that JBC and the Church of America would do just accordingly. In Christ's name, amen.